0: focuses, self-effort too is needed. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramhansa Yogananda. These past weeks we discussed the need for balancing self-effort with receptivity to divine grace. Both are important in the spiritual life. Passive dependence on grace hasn't the magnetism to attract grace? Boastful self-confidence, however, which closes itself off from the higher divine power, is shallow, brittle, and given life's many uncertainties, susceptible to ultimate failure. There is a story in the Bible that illustrates the need to put forth personal effort so as to draw magnetically on the divine power. The story occurs in the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 8. But as he went, the crowds nearly suffocated him. Among them was a woman who had had a hemorrhage for 12 years and who had derived no benefit from anybody's treatment. She came up behind Jesus and touched the edge of his cloak. As a result, her hemorrhage stopped immediately. Who was it who touched me? Jesus asked. When everybody denied it, Peter remonstrated, Master, the crowds are all round pressing you on every side. But Jesus said, Somebody touched me. I felt power going out from me. When the woman realized that she had not escaped notice, she came forward trembling and fell at his feet and admitted before everyone why she had touched him, adding that she had been instantaneously cured. Daughter, Jesus said, it is by your faith that you have been healed. Go in peace. Self-confidence and self-effort are necessary, as the ignition of a car is necessary to the motor. But of what use the ignition, however, if the motor itself will not work? Wise is he who recognizes the real power in the universe and guides his life by that supreme power. As it says in the Bhagavad Gita in the ninth chapter, To those who meditate on me as their very own, ever united to me by incessant worship, I make good their deficiencies and render permanent their gains. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Oh.
1: I also would like to welcome you all and begin by reading from Whispers from Eternity. O Divine Sculptor, Chisel thou my life. Every sound that I make, let it have the vibration of thy voice. Every thought that I think, let it be saturated with the consciousness of thy presence. Let every feeling that I have glow with thy love. Let every act of my will be impregnated with thy divine vitality. Let every thought, every expression, every ambition be ornamented by thee. O divine sculptor, chisel thou my life according to thy design. Well, this is a great topic. I just want to step out from behind that. (laughs) This is a great topic to talk on, and it's a very um, important one. As it says in the reading, it's we're always talking about balance. And, you know, here in America, we're not so good at that. <laughs> it's usually an either-or situation with us, and we make decisions, and then, oh, well, that didn't work. Let's make the other decision. But with the spiritual life and with self-effort, it really is a matter of Little by little by little, fine tuning how to do that self effort, how to make that self effort. Just recently, oh, in the last month or so, uh, Pranaba and I have been watching an interesting series. It was done last year on PBS uh, called God in America. And I would say, and it's very good, it's a six part series. I would say, It's more interesting than inspiring, especially for people who are into the path of yoga, who know about spirituality and an inner life. But it is very interesting, and it's just um, interesting to see what's happened in a country like America, which represents outwardly that real essence of Dwapara Yuga and is yet very young, All of the people that came here came from strong spiritual traditions, mainly in Europe and mainly Christian in the very beginning. And they start with the Puritans and go right up until the present age in this series. But um, I just wanted to say a few highlights about it because I I found it helpful just to think about this in regard to self-effort because, believe me, Americans have put out a lot of self-effort around the spiritual path but a lot of it hasn't gone anywhere it's like bouncing from one side to the other because there's not that tradition in christianity there was originally when jesus first taught in the first several hundred years when christianity was just coming up uh there was an inner tradition and there was the the understanding that you needed to have a spiritual life to have any any christian uh, life at all, but then that came to the point where it couldn't be controlled. People couldn't be controlled if you had it that way, and so the West, by as Yogananda said, by design, went in the direction of institutionalism, and he very uh, quaintly called it in the beginning of the 1900s when he came to America in the 1920s, churchianity, and. Uh, Again, I may be saying things that you know are a little different for you, how you would perceive it, but it's just my opinion of it. But at any rate, this institutional flow has taken us so outward. We are so uh, religious, and religion is a big deal in America, that 90% of Americans say they believe in God. And there's many, many, probably as so many churches you couldn't even count them all. Thousands, probably, of Christian sects and Judas and you know all different kinds of of sects. Because in America we have the tradition of religious freedom from the very beginning. So, so that's all happening. But but just watching the history of it all because the history affects the magnetism, the milieu in which we also live our spiritual lives. And so that, that uh, magnetism is one of great self-effort, but outward and emotional and looking at institutions for the answer. And so one thing that happened once the Puritans came and really had to found the country and founded on Christian principles and make their little communities viable... You know, they couldn't afford to have people going outside of what they believed because they wouldn't have survived at all. So they got a foothold. And and then we come around to around the 1800s. And the, I'm just going to touch on several highlights, which I thought were very interesting. In the early 1800s, and I had heard about this but had no idea why it happened, there were great revival meetings in America, out in the frontier. And the frontier at that time was Ohio River Valley, Indiana, Kentucky, Tennessee, just away from the original 13 colonies. And what had happened, at least according to this series, and it makes sense, is that people moving away from the very established East Coast came out into a life in the wilderness where there weren't any churches. And there wasn't any regular spiritual life happening and they became very hungry for god and it was very interesting just to realize oh of course they would and so people would travel by foot hundreds of miles when they heard about these revival meetings and just imagine this one man and all of the dialogue in this series is taken from notes letters and speeches from the people of that time. So it's very real what's happening. And this young man in, I think it was Ohio, walks down to maybe Kentucky. And uh, he said, I heard there's a big meeting down there and you know people are falling down on their knees. Well, I'm not going to fall down on my knees, but I do want to go and see what's happening. And so he, he gets down there. Well, what happens is that there is a gathering of 20,000 people in the forest and they are going at it. You know, I mean it's it's religion and it's preachers there and revival and just the whole emotional. But people were so hungry for some spiritual life that they went to this. And they said probably people in that time had never even seen twenty thousand people all at one time. And here they were in this religious fervor. So that went on until 1840, 1850 there were a lot of these and they showed on a map all over on the, not the east coast itself but in that new area where pioneers were moving out and were very isolated and then we come to the civil war and the civil war was the most horrendous thing that happened in America since the revolutionary war hundred years before and it was very uh, heart-wrenching and very, very difficult to deal with, pitting two sides of a small new country against each other in bloody battles that the dead numbered. I think they said more than all of the battles in the 1900s: World War One, World War Two, Korea. The number of dead in the Civil War outnumbered that. So it was a very uh, wrenching time. Lincoln. Who was a deeply spiritual man but did not like religion, didn't trust it because he saw all the emotionalism around it, uh, really just was always angsting about why is this happening? Why is this happening? And they found and said, in fact, they said, a small sheet of paper with just his notes on it about this. Why is this happening? And, uh, and so he came, it said, to the conclusion. That the reason this war was happening, was it was a payment, and he didn't say karma, but it was a payment of sins of the last 250 years of both the North and the South. And so what he did when he came to that, through a lot of prayer and meditation, when he came to that, he issued the Emancipation Proclamation. Because And it was a big surprise to both those in the North and the South that he did that. It was not an expected thing to happen. But it hit the the place where that was the problem. And so he just said that not a lot happened in the beginning, but at least he made that kind of declaration. And then um, a few years after that, naturally, the war ended and uh, things started to uh, have to be rebuilt after that. You're coming here to do what? So windy, yes. Noise, so do setup, okay. So faster, That's fine. Okay. Like that? Okay. Okay. Okay, but at any rate, the Civil War it passed. But then again, we're coming into Dwapara Yuga, and again, America, Americans considered themselves the chosen people. Very interestingly, Christianity being their religion, and they were the chosen people of God. So they ha- they were always very concerned about. The relationship with God and that it was really happening and that they were being true to what they needed to do. After the Civil War because of Dwapara Yuga coming in so quickly things kept right on moving very very quickly. At the end of the Civil War we come into the Industrial Revolution. Along with that is Darwin discovering evolution and the fact that maybe man isn't a special creation. Well, these are big problems, and science. And that just keeps evolving, goes right through the end of the 1800s and into the 1900s up to 1925. Now, 1925 is a very interesting year. One of the reasons it is is because that's the year that the Scopes Trial happened. And the Scopes Trial was putting on trial evolution being taught in schools, Scopes was a teacher in Tennessee, and he dared to teach evolution in in the public high school. And so it was put on trial. It was a big deal in that time. It took place in Ohio. and, uh, And so everyone was aware, as much as they could be through the media of the time, what was happening. And so that trial, although Scopes lost and in Tennessee, evolution was never taught again for many, many, many years. At one point in the trial, and it was very biased, the judge was totally for the people who were the literal translation of the Bible, which was the other side, the fundamentalists. Fundamentalists were represented by Uh, William Jennings Bryan, a very extremely well-known speaker of that time, very fine-looking man. There are pictures of him. And and Clarence Darrow represented scopes, representing the ability to teach evolution in schools. So they were darrow was losing the evolution was losing because it was all weighted to the to the other side and the fundamentalists but at a certain point darrow because he was a very good lawyer put william jennings bryan on the stand and proceeded to ask him about the literal translation the literal understanding the literal interpretation of the bible and he got him and the judge afterwards wiped that whole part of the uh, trial out of the record. Gone. But what? And it was, it was heart wrenching because William Jennings Bryan was a deeply spiritual, religious man, representing the literal translation of the Bible. But he believed in the love of Jesus. And they have, they have the actor saying his words, Jesus, I know your love. It can, it can answer every question. It can solve all the problems of this country, people suffering. And he was really trying to do a good thing and was a very noble man. But what Clarence Darrow did was he said, it says here in the Bible that creation was done in seven days. Do you believe that? one day for this, one day for this, one day for this, and he just kept at him. And Brian said, well, God's days are, and Darrow said, okay, you're, you're interpreting it. You don't believe in the literal. And he just kept after him and got him on that point. But the sad thing is, is that again, we're dealing with extremes here, the fundamentalists and the evolution people, and that that that, took away from people, and that whole period of time from about 1875 to 1925 took away from people meaning in life, took away from them their belief in Jesus, took away from them their belief in the Bible of any kind because science, evolution, people who were very rational would just make fun of it, just have it out there. And and so people lost a lot, and what was there to replace it? Materialism. Nothing more. There was nothing more. And we're still kind of in that time, in that flow. And uh, it just was interesting to me to see what happened there and what it felt like from the people of the time. Now, interestingly enough, 1925 was the year that Paramhansa Yogananda bought Mount Washington. And so right in the midst of this gut-wrenching, heart-wrenching pain and people losing meaning, which had to happen in a way because it couldn't be the literal interpretation of the Bible. That could not continue on. But yet, something had to be there to replace it. And herein comes Yogananda saying, science and religion? No problem. Let's talk about the science of religion and bringing in yoga, bringing in Kriya yoga, bringing in what he called his teachings to be. At that very time, lot of guts to do this, but he was, he located in Los Angeles, which was a little safer than the East Coast area. But he called his teachings at that time, the second coming of Christ. Now, wow. And then we come into the fact that self-effort too is needed. You can't go to a revival, fall down on your knees and say, I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and that's it. It's it's about self-effort. It's about accepting that grace, but it's also about us engaging in every possible way that we can to lift our, our consciousness up. To that grace. If we don't do that, nothing happens. Ramakrishna had a very good example of this, very uh, graphic. He said, We are like a man sitting in a boat on the ocean of delusion. You know, sometimes the ocean gets really big, sometimes the waves are just small, sometimes it's flat, and sometimes they're huge and can inundate that little boat. But he said, Above the wind of God's grace is always blowing. The, the, what's needed is that the man in the boat has to put up the sail. And then that sail can catch those winds. That grace can take you clear across that ocean of delusion. Without that, without that self-effort, nothing can happen. And so how do we put out the right spiritual effort? We know that just emotionalism and And just, you know, all these other things don't work. We really need to know how to fine-tune that. And so the right spiritual effort, and remember, we're in that boat on the ocean of delusion. We are really there. Always we're there. Delusion is always operating. We can come together in meditation groups, in centers, in communities. That helps. It helps to buffer it a little bit because then you have other people around that are doing the things that you're doing. It creates a magnetic vortex which helps to support you in your spiritual efforts. But nevertheless, that that ocean of delusion is always there and it's always in play. And so, no matter how many times we hear it, we have to remember that we're children of God. And not outside of that. We have to affirm Every day, throughout the day, no matter what happens, how we blow it, how we are successful, that it's God's grace coming through us. It's God's success. It's God's glory that operates through us. And that we find that that is our reality more and more. Also, we need to be resisting the separations that keep us separate from God. One is a huge one. The main one is the ego. And so, again, that we're children of God, children of light, the ego starts to diminish as that reality, as that consciousness becomes more and more into play in our everyday life. It happens in little ways, and it needs to continue to happen. So we build up that momentum. And what happens when we, when we live like that? With trust in God, with love, devotional love for God, with openness and receptivity, and with gratitude, with giving also to that divine. I had an interesting experience happen in the last couple of months that I wanted to share with you. I was in a public place and I saw someone who had been a friend many years ago and hadn't seen that person in a long time and there was an estrangement there there wasn't a a good feeling there and but I hadn't seen them in 10-15 years and so and they were about to turn around and face me there was no way I could get out of that I was seated somewhere and I thought wow this is going to happen this person will now turn around and what will happen and My ego said, oh, no, oh, gosh, you know, what will you do? And, you know, got all kind of tense back here, you know, around, uh uh-oh. And it was funny because I thought, you know, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's catch this now in the bud, nip it in the bud. There's nothing I can do about it. It's going to happen. There's nothing I can do about it. And from that point, and almost in saying that, I accepted it. And I didn't actually, I don't remember that I said, Master, what, what would you do? But what I felt in that moment, my energy dropped from here into the heart. And I just relaxed. And I almost smiled. I didn't want to smile because this person might be uptight. You know, I didn't know. But at any rate, I could feel my whole being just relax. And I thought, you know, whatever happens, it's fine. It doesn't matter. The heart is the spiritual center of the body when we drop into that heart and it dropped from the ego here but it just it was like a different and it was a different consciousness now my part of it was was accomplished I was able to to have that happen the other person they turned around and simply about a few feet away just walked by didn't even look knew that I was there but didn't look and i thought that's fine that's fine another time perhaps but it was it was so dramatic the feeling of that energy dropping and what and what that felt like it was just relaxing into the moment being in that consciousness of the divine and knowing exactly what to do then in that moment so if we put out the right self effort which means every every day in whatever way we can don't get nervous about it and feel strange but but do know that every day we do have to affirm this delusion you know i was thinking that little boat on the ocean there have been reports these days of huge waves just appearing on the ocean maybe they're in response to the huge upheavals we're having other places but just monster waves every so often appearing We never know when that will happen to us. And should our little boat get inundated, even with its sail up saying, Hey, I'm here, I want your grace, um, then we'll still have that. We'll still be going in the right direction. We can get inundated, and little boats, you know, they can right, right themselves up again if they're in the right balance. And so do know that that effort, it's essential every single day to be a child of God, I am. Remember to trust in God. When you come into even small situations that are difficult, say, Master, what would you do? Divine Mother, be with me. Help me. Let me know what to do. It helps. We work that muscle of trust and devotion and openness and receptivity then it's there for us when we really need it. It's a habit. We need habit in that way. And that way, that lovely thing that Krishna says, to those who meditate on me and think of me as their own, I make good their deficiencies and render permanent their gains.